Yep, counting off. So, Dave, how's it going? Great. Great. I have a, uh, a books on a plane story. Oh, you do? Tell, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like, you know how you always have horrible experiences with, with uh, more often than not, like on airplanes, right? Bad experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So, I was, this, this week I was flying from uh, Raleigh to Reagan National and, you know, get on the plane. You know, they, they boarded all the Zone 1 people. So I'm sitting there on the plane, and I notice that, like, nobody else is getting on the plane. And it ended up that uh, they stopped boarding because they found out that the plane was broken. And so they um, moved. Uh, so they actually got us another plane, so we had to deplane and everything. And then um, I go to the new plane, get all situated uh, back in uh, row 25. Um, and then... Uh, it's like I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to pull out my library book that I was reading, and then I'll I'll just read that while while I'm flying and everything. It'll be great because we can't turn on electronics yet. And and I'm like, wait, where's my library book? And I I like started panicking. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's I must have left it on the the broken plane. And so it's like I turn around and I walk back to the flight attendant, and I I said that oh well hey I think I. I left my book in the other plane and the lady's like, Oh, this one. And she like handed me the book. And so not only did the flight attendant, you know, she could have easily just like threw it in the lost and found or th- just pretended she didn't see it. And, but she actually off the plane to the, to the new gate and was like intending to find the person whose book it belonged to. So that was like, Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, so so uh, Jennifer of of U.S. Airways, um, I sent her, I sent U.S. Airways a nice uh, email uh, praising her and all that. So it was great. It's good news. Oh, that is good news. You know, the uh, U.S. Airways has a special program. They have little coupons that you can fill out. You give them like the uh, date, the time, the flight number, the name of the person, and what they did. And uh, apparently, it's very valuable to them, uh, to mm. U.S. Airways staff, uh, when they receive these little thank you. Uh, coupons. Um, I guess they redeem them for, I don't know, I don't know, miles or something. But um, or uniforms or yeah. Well, I, I don't. Yeah. Right. Well, since I'm, I'm. Uh, is that when you're like a certain level of eliteness with United or I'm with U.S. Airways? Because on like I'm with you, United. They don't have such a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just a U.S. Airways thing. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure she appreciated the email. In any case, that's great. Oh yeah, that's really and that's cool. that's what I wish. I wish United would do something like that because um, I think that's a great idea. Because I would I would keep them in my uh, laptop bag and hand them out. You know, mm-hmm. that's the best oh, way. The, to do and it. that's yeah. that's exactly what I do. I I, I in fact use them to uh, uh, coerce gate agents to uh, work my will. Um, hmm. You can, if you walk up there and you're looking for a standby seat or uh, you need them to do you a solid, uh, you kind of walk up there casually fumbling with the coupon in your fingers as if to say, this could be yours. If only you would do, do what I asked. Um, a little bit conniving, but you have uh, like a, yeah, it's like, like you have like a, a, like a band around them, like a hundred of them and you're like flipping through them or like laying them out on (laughs) a table and it's like (laughs) a little bribery thing. Um, (laughs) That's right. I'm going to leave this on your podium and walk away. And if it's not here, when I get back, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's wonderful. Nice. 
That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and also this uh, uh, this podcast is brought to you uh, by Sean Wells. Believe it or not. Oh, is that a, is is that a fact? Is that a fact? I haven't, yes. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any cash hit my palm yet. Um, is, he has is, a coupon what, what, to give what, you. <laughs> he has a uh-huh. little has a little red hat logo on it and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you do it and you'll get little copies of Fedora. Um, yeah, <laughs> but no, no, it's I left my microphone at home and uh, he's letting me borrow his. So that's uh, this this episode would not have been possible if it wasn't for uh, him letting me borrow this microphone. So thank well, you, that's Sean. Wonderful. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you, Sean Wells. Yeah. Well, thanks mm-hmm. for the microphone and for the SCAP security guide. Of course, yeah, he's got to get his money's worth. Um, he, he still owes us for um, yeah, that's, that's true. twenty that's bucks. True. Yeah, yeah. So, how about you? Uh, it's good. I'm 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 getting a little, little. It's a bittersweet week for me because I'm reaching the end of maybe one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Uh, it's called The History of Rome. Um, mm-hmm. I'm coming. I'm coming to this a little bit late. I, he, uh, it's done by this one guy, Mike Duncan, who. Near as I can tell, he just sat down and started recording 20-minute snippets of, and it's his retelling of the history of Rome, all the way like from prehistory and myth, all the way through, uh, obviously, you know, the heyday of the Senate, and then the Caesars, um, and now we're just starting to wind down as the as the empire is is collapsing, um, and I think I'm on episode 100 or so, or, or closing in on episode 100. Um, anyway, it's just absolutely delightful. It's a guy who, near as I can tell, he's, uh, this guy, Mike Duncan, is a grad student, um, and he, it's, it sounds as, as simple as could be, and, and in fact, that's kind of what's approachable about it. It's these 20-minute snippets that walk you through the history of Rome, um, so hmm. you don't have to slog through Gibbon uh, or through some like dry history text. It's just, you know, this guy and his... Uh, what I presume to be his his late twenties, uh, just telling you the history of Rome. Um, it is wonderful, and he actually wow. has a he's. That, so we did that a while ago, and now he's got a new series called Revolutions, um, and currently he's telling the story of uh, Charles the um, First. Oh, and, oh, right, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You told me about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, he, he's just fantastic. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, so I recommend everyone go check out the history of Rome. Hmm. Nice. Good. Uh, all right. So, th- is, you know, Dave, we set uh, really just a breakneck pace for ourselves in the last episode. I think we, we clocked in at something like 36 minutes um, yes. for like two weeks worth of material. So we're going to try and we, I think both of us enjoyed that pace, right? I think we both liked yeah, uh, yeah. how that worked out. We're going to try and duplicate that again. So uh, let's get rolling here. Um, theme of the show, invasions. So we got alien invasions. We have... Uh, BIOS invasions, privacy invasions, and uh, an invasion of common sense from the FAA. That's right. Uh, so if folks need to learn more about uh, history of Rome, um, need to learn more about all these invasions that we'll be discussing, where, where on the internet webs should they go? They need to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. And that's where they have the cutting room mm-hmm. floor, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, so on the cutting room floor, we've got uh, where baby carrots come from, uh, a 10-pound Swiss Army sidearm, probably the best way to describe it, and also uh, Reed Hoffman, uh, the founder of LinkedIn, posted the pitch deck he used uh, for his uh, Series B investors um, and annotated the whole thing. And, mm. if, and if you've ever been in a startup or plan on being in a startup, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. Anyway, so all the links are there on the cutting room floor at uh, dgshow.org. 
Um, yeah. So, so uh, going to our follow-up, uh, Matt Mycini is like trying to rub salt into this gunner bait thing, right? <laughs> so he's he's uh, he, he said we missed some things. Yeah, that's right. That's we? right. So what what happened with the? Uh, well, let's actually. What what happened with the original? Article? Yeah, so the, so the the original article that, we were talking was... about um, this is two episodes back. Mike Olson uh, from Cloudera had this quote about um, you can't start a closed source platform anymore, and also you can't build a successful standalone company only on open source. And you and I talked about how that was a false choice, and there were all kinds of different ways you could make money uh, on a pure play open source company, uh, among them Red Hats. Uh, Matt correctly noted that uh, Mike gave an excuse for uh, for the for Red Hat's success. Uh, he attributed Red Hat's success to the proprietary nature of the Red Hat network, mm-hmm. which is yep. Uh, kind of, I've worked at Red Hat for seven, eight years. Uh, I think that that line of argument is crazy town. I don't think that makes any sense at all. <laughs> I don't know, Dave. What about you? Do you think do you think we can you can build a, a billion dollar company based on uh, four fee access to uh, to the Red Hat network? No, no, and and I think it's you know keeping unless you know the way he's thinking of it is like if you you know if we put the binaries for all of our products out there without and people can get it without a subscription. Um, that would make it just hard to sustain. And so by keeping the binaries back um, for paying customers, that allows us to you know, put food on the tables of our engineers' families and um, things like that. So, you know, that kind of makes sense. But there's more than, you know, than than bits that, that you get with a Red Hat subscription. So it's like access to our support organization, being able to influence the roadmap, um, there's so many things you get with the Red Hat subscription that more than just access to bits. Yeah, and it made me realize, uh, Dave, exactly how few people understand what it is that we do for a living, right? Um, if you think about us as a mm-hmm. software company, uh, which we are in some respects, um, then his his line of argument makes sense, right? We're controlling access or like we're basically charging rent for Red Hat Network. That would be one way to tell the story, but that's mm-hmm. actually kind of the weakest part of our value, Right. Um, there's all the other stuff that we do, mm-hmm. like the quality of the services, the support, access to the ecosystem, uh, influence in the community, certifications, certifications right? Certifications. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and in fact, mm-hmm. Dave, yeah. you've got a whole, so the hardware certifications. And, and the, yeah, that's right. And Dave, you've got a, uh, you have a whole, uh, <laughs> you have, there's a, there's actually a presentation that you've been doing for customers and for Red Hat employees for I guess about two years now. Uh, it's called a, it's a presentation called Beyond the mm-hmm. Bits and a little bit of inside baseball for folks who aren't Red Hatters uh, listening to the show. Um, Dave, this presentation is so successful and so popular inside Red Hat that uh, there is now literally a mailing list devoted to the presentation. Um, so Dave has built up a, yes. a cult of personality around this, around this slide, around these slides. Uh, it's really wonderful. And it's, it's not my mailing list. Um, it's actually, uh, uh, Scott McCarty. Uh, he has a little space in, uh, uh, in one of our, our document areas where he's, you know, it's like he, he kept feeding me, uh, Oh, why don't you add this? Why don't you add that? And I'm like, well, would you like to just take over the deck and maintain it? And <laughs> yeah. And so he's actually created, um, and in, instead of submitting patches upstream for me to maintain, I'm like, would you like to own it um, and and you know add it? And and they actually have a whole community of people 
um, that are, are building upon it. Um, so it's, it's pretty good. You know, Scott's doing a great job um, and uh, putting that together. So, it, yeah, it is this small little cult. And, yeah, and it's not me running it. You know, it's like I'm, I'm advising, but, uh, you know, those guys are doing a lot of the heavy lifting to keep it refreshed and up to date because it is more than just the bits that you that you get whenever you get a Red Hat subscription. That's what that deck goes into. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, let's see, and then another piece of follow-up here is, uh, so, I mean, I spent the whole week trying to figure out where on my body I could insert a stopwatch uh, based on the article mm-hmm. uh, about a deep brain stimulation. Um, and there was, there was some mm-hmm. discussion of, like, how exactly, so there's, there's this implant which goes into your brain. It's supposed to do the deep brain stimulation. In the article, it's described as being the size of a stopwatch. And we were in wonderment at the prospect of stuffing, like, two, I think I said, two double D batteries uh, into your brain and how that would ever be practical. Mm-hmm. And it turns out we were wrong, once again. Um, right. <laughs> it turns out that that is, in fact, the kind of outboard portion of the system um, that hangs around your neck or something, and that, in fact, it's just two, like, little wires that go into your brain, which sounds a lot much more reasonable. Right. Yeah. So if anybody tries to fit that, in, you know, you get a doctor that's trying to put it inside your brain, they're doing yeah, it wrong. Yeah, that's, right. right? <laughs> that's right. Run away. Yeah. yeah. And and also, don't, don't, don't let Gunner put it in either. Yeah, don't, I've got, I, I have a number of embarrassing scars now, because that's, that was not the right way to go about it. I, I realize my <laughs> error now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so I got so I'm ready to, I'm ready to go on a rant. Are you prepared? Yeah, I'm strapped. Okay. In. So Dave, you know, huge fan of Remember the Milk. I've been a Remember the Milk customer for years. Um this is the uh, task management mm-hmm. uh service up on the website. It's uh, you go to their website. Um they've got this kind of great kind of rich API for uh, being able to interact with your tasks. Um I use their Android client. I've used their iPhone, iPad, um, Android tablet, uh, the Mac client. I've used the Linux. I mean, there's, it's 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 a wonderful tool with a, a pretty good ecosystem. Um, but now I just got mm-hmm. notice from them that I'm up for renewal in about a week, and it got me thinking. Like, hmm, mm-hmm. this is a subscription service, uh, and as you and I know, subscription services are all about having to deliver a customer new value every year, right? And so I, th- I thought back mm-hmm, and said, mm-hmm. well, what have I gotten from Remember the Milk over the last year? Kind of what have they done for me lately? And I realized that while mm-hmm. the, they have been delivering the core service just fine, you know, very little downtime, it's, it's very reliable. Uh, I've also noticed that development has slowed on that platform significantly. Um, there hasn't been a real refresh to the web UI in literally years. Um, the... Uh, mm-hmm. iPhone client, as an example, still is not able to do location awareness so that uh, like uh, what I like is when mm-hmm. I land in DC um, that Remember the Milk says, oh, here are all the tasks that are tagged as being in DC tasks. Um, that's super handy mm-hmm. to have, right? If I walk into yeah. a drugstore, it should say, oh, you're in a drugstore. These are the things that you need to do in a drugstore. Um, anyway, I have a laundry list, as you can imagine. Um, and yes, I keep that list in Remember the Milk. Um, of things that I would like Remember the Milk to do differently. And none of those items have been touched, uh, despite them being very, very popular items on the Remember the Milk forums. So I wrote Remember the Milk as a good customer instead of suffering in silence and just walking away from them without saying anything. I sent, uh, I opened a support ticket and said, hey guys, I'm up for renewal. I just wanted to let you know, you know, I'm still looking for these things. I'm noticing that um, 
that the ecosystem has also slowed down. Not just are you not delivering features, but also they have a policy, which we should go on a whole other rant about. Uh, the policy says that you are not allowed to use the Remember the Milk API if you charge money for it. In other words, no one else is allowed to build a Remember the Milk client and charge money for it except for the Remember the Milk guys. So hmm. guess how good the right. ecosystem is for third-party clients? It's not great at all, right? It relies entirely on uh, you know, hobbyists to, to fill in the gaps there. So the company says no one else is allowed to work on these problems. The company itself is not working on the problems. And so I wrote them this email complaining about each, and each of these things and said... What what's up? Like, what can I expect in the next year? What like, why should I renew with you? Since you know things seem to have, have ground to a halt here, and the response I got back, well, okay, Dave, what kind of response would you want from from something like that? I'd I'd want the CEO to call me at home. Yes, right. On a Saturday <laughs> night. Saturday, yeah, exactly. Um, I got the opposite of that, which was, hey, thanks for your email. I've emailed the developers, and they'll be in touch. Yeah, you forwarded it to me. It was even worse than that. It's like your opinion is very important to us. <laughs> and you know, it was like one of those you know, it's like when you're on hold with customer support and it's like your call is very important. If it was really important to us, they would have like picked the phone yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. sort of thing. And yeah. Um yeah, it's 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 those sort of replies that just it's like insulting. Isn't yeah, it? No, it is insulting because it was um, I, I was, it was very obvious from the reply that my interaction with them was being, th- they, don't they don't care. And it was being thrown on a pile with a hundred emails. They got that just like it that same day. Right. Um, so anyway, so I'm now in the market for a new task management system. Um, if anybody, uh, anybody out there has some suggestions, let me know. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to post the reply, uh, up to the, up in the show notes, uh, for the express purpose of embarrassing them. Um, because that that's just not how you're supposed to run a subscription business really terrible yeah yeah and and that's the thing too is that if i think that if it was you know if there were all kind of cutting edge new features and all that you would gladly pay um but it's just you're not you're not seeing the the value and there's so much room for improvement too it's it's not like it's a like say like office 97 and it's like feature complete and you could probably use office 97 for 20 years and Mm -hmm. Never need. There's so much more room for improvement with Remember the Milk um, that it, you you can't stop. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, we're not talking yeah. about a feature complete platform uh, that just needs you know periodic refreshes of the interface. Uh, we're talking about like fundamental mm-hmm. missing features that exist in other competing products um, that they seem to be making no progress yep. on. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Speaking yep. of progress, yeah. Uh, it seems like someone yeah. hit FAA with the with the with the clever stick, because um, <laughs> now now the, the, we have big news. Um, we're allowed to act like grownups on airplanes now. Well, is that is that a done deal, or is it? Does it need to ripple out? Like when I fly home tomorrow, can I can I uh, have my Palm Pilot on? Or so, yeah. So the so the FAA released new guidelines mm-hmm. that says you're basically that you're allowed to keep personal electronics turned on throughout takeoff and landing. Um, uh, <laughs> this is the this is the FAA order that will kill the paperback book industry. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh! The, <laughs> I wonder what like but, <laughs> did you look at Amazon stock? Did it did it take a? a I, I could imagine it could have gone up. You know, because people are going to be buying Kindles. 
Yeah, that's it. No, that's right. So, the, so these guidelines went out, and it's actually, from what I read, it's actually up to each individual airline to further to implement those guidelines as they choose. Uh, so, I think I saw a press release from Delta. They're going to do it pretty quickly. I think it just in the next couple of days, they're going to they're going to flip the switch and allow you to start doing it. Um, I suspect the other airlines will fall into line pretty quickly. Yeah. but it's still ultimately up to the airline on how they want to how they want to handle these. Yeah. Guidelines. So, in a couple of years, we'll probably have it. Because nothing moves quicker than, uh, yeah, if we thought Remember the Milk was stagnant, um, the, uh, <laughs> the, regu- the regulations in the airline industry um, are giving it a, a run for its money. Yeah. Um, but did you see there was, other, uh, there was other FAA, or actually TSA news, um, that isn't getting as much attention as this, uh, as this electronics order, uh, but I think is maybe even more important. Uh, they are expanding security checks uh, to extend to do more thorough background checks before you even set foot in the airport. This is more along the lines of mm-hmm. um, how Israel does their airline security, uh, where the actual security checkpoint is kind of the, just the last step in a multi-step process that starts even before you, uh, even before you walk into the airport. Um, so good in the sense of maybe more thorough, good in the sense of mm-hmm. maybe better at picking up problems, um, good in the sense of probably streamlining mm-hmm. security lines at the airport because uh, you're focusing on people who you're really concerned right. about rather than people you're not concerned about. But people are also complaining, Dave, and we talked about this before, they're complaining about how the default now is that you are a criminal. The default is that you are under suspicion. And unless we surrender more personal information uh, things like birthdays, gender, uh, or full names. Um, and in the case of you and I, we've talked about this before, the t- going through the TSA pre-check program where they actually fingerprint us mm-hmm. and do a full background check and stuff like that. Um, you have to surrender that information before you're allowed uh, a more pleasant flying experience. Um, so I don't know. I read this. I, I, I know the last time we talked about this, uh, we were, I think both of us were kind of, dismissive of the concerns mm-hmm. around the pre-check process specifically. But now this expansion of the background checks for, for regular air, airline users um, actually now has me a little bit more worried. Yeah. As well. I think I it's, what about you, Dave? I, you know, and I see both sides of it, right? It's like, do you need to be patting down the 80 year old lady um, and looking at, you know, what fluid she's bringing in, um, or, you know, it's a bit like a profiling thing and, and sort of, um, you know, or you know, do you treat everybody, equally, um, even though, um, you know, you do some background checks and you might find out something. I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's almost like doing a credit check for a loan, right. Um, in some cases to see, um, you know, what they're, it, instead mm-hmm. of a credit score, it's yeah. like a security yeah. score. I think that's an interesting line of argument, right? Because like I surrendered all kind of information to my mortgage company, like when I wanted to buy a mm-hmm. house, um, or, or insurance. Life, uh, how about life insurance? Or you know, I was just going to say, as a matter of fact, yeah, signing up for life insurance, you got to give them all kinds of crazy personal information for the privilege of getting life insurance. Um, yeah, and it's DNA, and I and I don't know why this. I don't know why flying in an airplane has a special status compared to those other kind of things like buying a house and buying life insurance. Maybe it's because it happens more frequently. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe people feel like flying is a right uh, rather than a privilege in a way that buying a house or getting life insurance isn't. I I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I I see both sides of it. And I wonder, and I'm sure they're not giving out the metrics of, you know, how, like what your security score is based upon. And, 
you know, what, mm-hmm. how, how do they measure it? And can you tell what your security score is? Right, right. Oh, and that's another, that's another element to this as well, is that uh, TSA, probably the least loved and least trusted um, agency there is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about, when you have, <laughs> when you have an agency that is uh, so kind of like abrogated the trust that people gi- give to it, um, it now asks for more powers or, or announces that it is now going to expand its powers. Um, people probably are bucking at that too, right? Yeah. Which, which does make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. But at least you could look at your Kindle while it's taken off, while the plane's taken off. Yeah, that's right. I wonder that's if right. the airlines right. will, uh, I wonder Bread if the circus. airlines will allow it for $20. <laughs> oh right, right. No, exactly. Exactly. I shouldn't. Right. We should. We should strike this part. We don't want to give them any ideas. <laughs> you laugh. Okay, we'll cut a lot. You, you'll get somebody <laughs> like Spirit Airlines or somebody that you know. It's like, oh, you want a seat? That's twenty dollars. You want to have that on? No, that's twenty dollars. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, Dave, you were reading a book you liked. Yeah. What was the New Kingmakers? Yeah, the New Kingmakers: How Developers Conquered the World. It was, it was a fast read. Um, I thought it was pretty good. So, it basically, talks about how uh, developers are the driving force in enterprises today. And so, it's like you don't want, um, like, for a lot of people, if you want your product to be used at a particular company, the old way is to um, wine and dine the CIO or CTO and, and then they make a decision and then it's that decision is forced upon the developers where um, where now it seems like the developers are the ones that are deciding a lot of things in, in direction without necessarily the, um, the higher-ups being aware of that sort of level of detail. But um, Anyhow, it's it's an interesting book. Um, I, I think it was written by um, uh, one of uh, Gordon Half's uh, friends. Um, he's an analyst from uh, uh, who works. He works for Red Hat, our cloud evangelist. But this author, he works for uh, Redmonk. He's one of the co-founders. But um, anyhow, the one of the things that I found in the book was um, something I came across. I didn't know about it. But if you go to resume.github.io, you can actually. Um, plug in anybody's GitHub username, and it'll generate a resume uh, for them based upon their GitHub usage, um, which is like scary, kind of cool. Um, so you get a lot of people that would um, brag about, oh, I know this language or that language, or I write all this code and all that code. It actually puts me- it actually creates a resume with all the measurable contributions that you did inside of GitHub. So it's pretty neat. That is a, that is pretty great. You know, p- people joke about GitHub being the new CV, right? Like, yeah. You know, if you want my resume, just go to GitHub. Um, but this is literally like you go and this formats it as if it were a resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does a really nice job. Um, kind of, I looked at my own record and it was a little bit embarrassing. Um, oh, mine's mine's <laughs> so, worse. Although, in fairness, <laughs> um, no, it's a, it's it, it's wonderful, um, and it is interesting to see how developers have a great deal more power than they have had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they really are driving a lot more decisions in IT than they ever have before. Um, and I think, frankly, I think that's a yeah. good thing. Um, I, I, I hesitate to use the word meritocracy, but uh, when you talk about people using GitHub as their resume, you're, you are talking in a, in a narrow sense about, uh, about meritocracy, um, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. good. I think that's nice. Yeah. And, and it's, measurable and public yeah so it's kind of cool yeah that's yeah. right um and in fact we should include a link to that we talked about it in a previous show but um 
Garen Means, uh, actually developer here in Austin, wrote an article about uh, that word meritocracy. We ought to remind folks of that link, um, so we'll include that in the show notes. It's a um, it's why I said like we have to be careful about using the word meritocracy when we talk about using GitHub as your as your resume, because um, meritocracy is a very loaded term, which is a little bit problematic when we're talking about stuff like this. But anyway, Dave, you found a Chrome extension which turns the word cloud into the word but. Yes, must have thing. Um, saw this from uh, <laughs> Travis uh, Travis Kepley. Uh, saw he mentioned that. So um, and it's on GitHub. It's all open source. So anytime you go to a website that talks about cloud, it will change the word cloud to the word but um, it's for hours <laughs> of laughs. So it's go ahead and try it out. There's some examples, uh, screenshots and everything. It's something to try out. So it's a what is the word you use, Gunnar? Uh, uh, cognitive surplus. Um, cognitive so surplus. That's right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. You fork the project and turn the word cloud into just about anything you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, big data. Cybersecurity. Oh, cybersecurity. Yeah, please, someone fork that project and turn cybersecurity into something embarrassing. That would be wonderful. Yeah. But security, I don't um, know. Let's see. It, oh, we got to, um, and then we f- I found this article in Foreign Policy uh, by a guy I follow on Twitter, uh, Kelsey Atherton, um, who mm-hmm. uh, is kind of a kind of a wonk, kind of a drone wonk, um, like national security wonky guy. He uh, wrote this article, which sums up in in a, in a really neat way. Um, pretty much everything we've said about NSA and surveillance um, Mm -hmm. in the last like 20 episodes, right? (laughs) Right, right. um, Like rather than listening to those 20 episodes worth of commentary, I would recommend that you just go read this four page foreign policy article. (laughs) In addition to listening to the 20 hours of commentary. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so one of the things that like with that that article talks about is they're basically you know it was basically uh, the, well the title says it all it's how we killed privacy in four easy steps and uh, stop blaming the NSA we did this to ourselves which you could imagine that that had a reaction from a lot of people um, but in many mm-hmm. cases you know I don't think uh, companies and people are without blame you know and and just. You know, from a, a thought experiment standpoint, um, it, it's like saying, um, you know, it's it's better for uh, customers um, and providers to uh, in, do encryption correctly to begin with instead of passing legislation to tell people to not look at their unencrypted data. Um, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, you can imagine it's like if, you know, I, if I want to wear a, a Helixon's Law tank top in the backyard or while I'm driving around, um, but I don't want people to know that uh, I'm I'm wearing a Helixon's Law um, tank top, um, I should do something different instead of getting a, a pass that nobody could look at me in my backyard or inside my car. I should either get tinted windows or wear a sweater or put a fence up. Um, but what, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that but reading this article, it, it crystallized this this notion for me that we we really are living in the world of tomorrow, but we still have all of yesterday's uh, mores, morals, ethics, mm-hmm. and laws, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, and it's not, and you're right, it's not just a matter of we have we don't have the kind of legal infrastructure that we need for the world that they, mm-hmm. we built. 
but we also don't have the kind of moral infrastructure for the world that we built. Um, we don't have a sense of, we still don't have a good sense of right and wrong. Um, and to a large extent, the, the notions of what's right and wrong with regards to privacy and data collection and surveillance, those are being dictated to us by the people who are building the platforms that are doing the surveillance and the, all the rest of it, right? I mean, this is my objection to Facebook, is that Facebook gets to decide how they use my data, um, which seems to me kind of fundamentally unbalanced, yep. right? Um, and not particularly fair. Uh, so, and I think, and I think part of the, you know, part of the discussion is the, we've, what we've talked about in the past is this notion of, you know, what am I getting in return for the, the cost? Or if I surrender a certain amount of my privacy, what do I get in return? Um, and allowing people to make informed decisions about that, um, it, that's an important aspect mm -hmm. of this. Uh, but still, it's like, a, it's really complicated. It's a very complicated issue um, and goes far beyond, you know, kind of simple notions of, well, NSA surveillance should just be illegal or, you know, this thing isn't right. And this thing is, this thing is correct or this thing is wrong. It's, uh, it's much more complex. It's not one or two or three decisions or laws. It's hundreds of thousands of decisions and rules and regulations that need to be in place in order to create a world. I think that we're comfortable yep. with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So unfortunately that doesn't fit in a headline. No. no. And, um, yeah, and then there was that other article that uh, we saw about the uh, former spy chief overheard giving an off-the-record interview from an Acela train. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, an irony, irony, R.I.P. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what happened there? Um, so, uh, Hayden is on the Acela train doing on his phone doing an off-the-record interview that is like on background. In fact. Um, he said at one point, uh, remember, you know, you can quote me as a senior administration official or a former administration official. Um, so he's, but he's doing this on a cell, like on the train. And so there's a guy there on Twitter saying, I'm sitting next to Michael Hayden. He's doing an off the record interview <laughs> and then proceeds to kind of recount everything that he's saying um, on this quote unquote. Off yeah, he's live tweeting. <laughs> he's live tweeting it. Um, it was very funny. Mm -hmm. Twitter thought it was hilarious. Um, the guy ended up taking a photograph with Hayden, <laughs> and, um, and they talked about sports well, or something. But um, but the lesson here is that even yeah. the head, the, a former head of the NSA, can get caught up in this kind of ubiquitous surveillance apparatus that we've constructed for ourselves, right? Yeah, but the the funny part that I thought was um, from that article, he said that so that this guy was live tweeting what Michael Hayden was saying. And then all of a sudden, his like phone rang, and somebody called him and told Mike the the guy on the phone told that called Michael Hayden told Michael Hayden somebody is live tweeting what you're saying right. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine so okay, so I don't know if it's somebody from the NSA scanning something or what or somebody was following what his name or something, but it, that was like and I guess he like turned around and saw the guy sitting there and he's like uh oh yeah I'm busted and. <laughs> And then the next thing you see is like a, uh, the like he tweeted again uh, the the guy live tweeting tweeted a picture of him arm and, uh, with his arm around Michael Hayden or whatever you know uh, saying that he's a Steelers fan or something and and all that so that was it ended well you know no nobody yeah. was harmed in the uh, in the incident so it was it was interesting story yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely cool um so happy Halloween Dave yeah. Yeah, you going uh, trick or treating? 
Uh, no, I got a friend of ours is doing uh, is doing a scary movie in uh, in his backyard. He's got like a full mm. uh, like <laughs> he has the shed in his backyard. And when I say a shed, I mean like a small house. Uh, so it's oh, like, like a fi- like a fifteen twenty foot wall on one side of the yeah. shed. And he sets up lawn chairs on his backyard and uh, gets a projector out there and some big speakers and basically turns it into a big outdoor uh, outdoor cinema. Uh, so we're going to go watch nice. scary movies over there. Yeah. Oh. How about you? You going to watch uh, War of the Worlds? Oh. Uh, no, probably not. That would be not a great movie, right? Because it was a radio broadcast, what, 75 years ago today? Yeah. Well, it, it was back then, but they there were several movie versions of it uh which weren't oh bad. i suppose that's right i suppose that's right yeah i guess i knew that mm-hmm. yeah i saw an article about that where i guess pbs is doing uh the the show american experience is doing a show this week on that where the local you know all the hysteria and all that and i saw there was an article in the local akron paper about it where they said uh, in akron alone it was blamed for fainting spells heart attacks and hundreds of calls to the akron beacon journal as part of a wave of hysteria <laughs> So a wave of hysteria, which swept the city, breaking up church meetings and frightening thousands. <laughs> I love it. I get this image of these uh, elderly Akron residents clutching their pearls, listening to the radio. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and people just running out of churches screaming, um, you know, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, oh my gosh. And yeah. But you said that, that that's not the case. I actually thought, yeah, so this, this, I, I, I had never seen this meme run around before, but it just, I, maybe some new studies came out or something, but, um, it, people now are questioning exactly how much hysteria, uh, the war of the worlds created, uh, 75 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, people are going back and looking at, I guess, the historical record, whatever that is, um, and saying like, well, yeah, some people probably freaked out, but it was nowhere near the kind of, it's now like almost mythological, right? You know, people talk about War of the Worlds and yeah, exactly. People running, screaming out of churches, screaming out of movie houses, um, worried about an alien invasion. Um, and there's a couple theories about it. One is, uh, people were super nervous about Germany and Hitler, uh, at the time, mm-hmm. because it, this is in the run up to right. the, the Nuremberg rally. Uh, another yep. theory was, uh, well, anyway, it's all recounted in, in Wikipedia, but the, um, one of the theories is that the reaction was overplayed by newspapers who were extremely threatened by radio as a news source. And so this was mm-hmm. a way of the newspapers discrediting radio as a news source because it, you know, um, uh, it's an untrustworthy medium. Uh, and you should right. only be getting your news from newspapers who are much sober and slower uh, than radio communication, I guess, was the argument. Um, anyway, so you, we'll link you, to the uh, Wikipedia uh, entry on that. So that's so okay. So Wikipedia said said that um, as a rebuttal, as the newspaper saying that uh, radio is not a credible source for news. I wonder if Encyclopedia Britannica is going to reject Wikipedia's article as Wikipedia <laughs> not being a credible place for. Um, historical information. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the symmetry between the two is pretty great. Um, <laughs> this idea of Wikipedia knocking radio, meanwhile being knocked by the newspapers. Anyway, it, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. So speaking yeah, of turtle, scary turtles, things, all the way down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of of uh, scary things, why, why don't you uh, uh, tell us all a scary story in, in the spirit of Halloween? 
Yeah, so once upon a time, there was a security researcher, and that security mm-hmm. researcher was using his MacBook and realized that his MacBook was communicating with some other machines when it shouldn't have been. And mm-hmm. so the security researcher did what security researchers do, which is he slowly started taking the computer apart, trying to figure out how it was communicating with these mysterious other machines. So he unplugged it from the Ethernet. He unplugged it from the Wi-Fi. He turned off, He unplugged USB devices. Anyway, fast forward. Uh, what this guy discovered was the most horrifying BIOS hack I have ever heard of. Um, mm. It works on PCs and Macs. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems to transmit itself through a number of ways, uh, through networks, uh, through mm-hmm. USB devices. So just by plugging mm-hmm. uh, USB into your computer, you can infect, and it will not just infect your operating system, it actually infects the BIOS, actually infects the hardware. Mm. And here's the, here's the scariest part. The BIOS can actually transmit itself using speakers and microphones on your computer. Wow. So so you have so your this, microphone on one computer and then it'll use the speakers from an infected computer to transmit its virus to uh, a vulnerable computer's microphone. Right. Exactly right. Horrifying, yes. right? Totally horrifying. And true story. Um, true story. Yeah, true story. Uh, so there's, mm-hmm. there's a link to the Ars Technica article about it. Um, I had seen this kind of bubbling up on Twitter about two weeks ago um, and hadn't heard anything about it. And then finally, this guy, at, uh, this guy Dan Gooden at, uh, at ours wrote it up. Um, but like super scary. Um, and, you know, when you read about when you read about like intelligence agencies, when you read about stuff like Stuxnet, it's, you know, kind of OK, scary, but it's an abstraction. Right. And it's, you know, OK, for Stuxnet, they were just attacking like industrial equipment. Right. So that couldn't yeah. possibly happen to me. Um, but this guy actually found. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you... Un- I mean, you just got to throw the thing away, right? Yeah. Computer well, the, to me, this is, a, this is like a, a, a novel waiting to happen, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. it's like some, some apocalypse of... Think of all the uh, um, microphones and speakers you have around you right now, whether it's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a telephone or your computer or your mm-hmm. cell phone, Um it, you can imagine that that could be that could be pretty crazy. Yeah, in fact, I just did a count, Dave. There are six microphones in arm's reach of me right now, mm-hmm. yep. and a speaker for each one of them. Yeah, t- no, totally crazy. Um, so anyway, so so read the article. Uh, or, or you broadcast it over the virus over the television, so everybody's watching the Super Bowl, and then it you oh right you, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then. And then yeah. it goes into the uh, microphone of, of the family computer and all the cell phones and yep. Well, and that's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing about this too, right? Is that you read the article. If if this article was not written by a reporter that I respect in Ars Technica and by a security mm-hmm. researcher that I respect, right? Uh, if this was in a science fiction novel, I would have been like, "Oh, this is crap. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like this is yeah. like this is over the top. This is totally ridiculous." Yeah. Um, yep. But no, this is actually happening like in real life. Totally crazy. Scary. Totally crazy. Um, so, so now I turn with with renewed interest towards uh, Intel's new software guard extensions. Yeah, yeah. So tell um, me about that. Yeah. So, th- so we've been we've actually been meaning to talk about this on the show for a while. Um, but uh, so when you're looking to protect yourself against malware, um, the problem comes down to you eventually need to trust something, right? And 
Intel has been working for many, many years to ensure that the chip is the thing that you trust. Um, mm -hmm. So there's stuff like the trusted platform module, um, all the trusted computing group standards. There's all this kind of crazy technology that you can put into the microprocessor uh, to make it more trustworthy or in the parlance, like it, the root of trust. So if mm -hmm. you trust the chip, then you can trust this other thing. And if you can trust that other thing, then you can trust the next thing and so on and so on. Eventually get up to the software that you're using um, kind of at your keyboard, right? But it all go, you know, it all falls down, water falls down to this, uh, to the chip. So Intel's releasing these new extensions, uh, the software guard extensions. And there's a really nice write-up um, on the Invisible Things blog about it. Um, but it, the, I guess the best way to describe this is like a special place on the chip that you can stick a piece of software Mm -hmm. And once the software is stuck in there, it can't be looked at, it can't be investigated, it can't be analyzed, it can only be executed. Mm. So what this opens up, as a, so this creates a number of possibilities, right? On the good end, and the reason why they built this thing in the first place, on the good side, it means that you could conceivably build something like Google and have it work without Google ever actually reading your data. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. So that sounds that sounds useful. That sounds pretty great, right? Yeah. Um, but like all interesting technology, this can also be turned against you uh, because now, since there's no way to analyze it, there's no way to investigate it, there's no way to verify it. There's actually once you get malware stuck inside one of these little software jails on the chip, it's basically game over, right? Well, or you don't know. Or yeah, you exactly. You don't know the <laughs> more, game. More to the point, right. you don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like the, so the I just thought that was interesting. Like the the way of because so often, especially in our industry, you know, you 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 solve one problem and you end up creating three new problems, right? Yep. Um, this is like a this is a classic example of that. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Yep. Anyway, that was exhausting. I'm terrified now. I'm. I'm scared. Uh, comfort yeah, comfort me per with some, for some Halloween. news about events. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in the meantime, while if you're, while your computers are still working, you can uh, submit your abstract for the uh, Red Hat Summit. So yep, that yep. You, uh, you have until, up until November, November 5th, right? Yeah, November 5th, or if your computer gets hacked before then. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> uh, the next day, we have the Red Hat Government Symposium. So um, uh, we'll be there. And then uh, yeah, what, there's a JWAS and I'm, exci I'm actually excited about mm -hmm. I'm actually excited about the uh, government symposium. I'm going to be interviewing, doing a little fireside chat with uh, Shmendra Paul uh, from um, from ODNI. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'll be talking about um, intelligence and the kind of information sharing uh, amongst federal, state, local agencies. Um, so the guy's a big fan of open source and a big fan of open standards. I'm, I'm really eager to to hear what he has to say. It should be fun. Yeah, and then I'll be I'll be doing a fireside chat with uh, uh, Jeff Blank from the NSA and uh, somebody from um, uh, DHS as well. We're talking about open source and security, so that'll be fun. Awesome! Oh, very cool. Yep. Yeah, and then you have your JBoss Day on uh, November twelfth in Austin, and the C five yep. ISR Summit in Charleston mm -hmm. on the thirteenth, the next day. Uh, Alamo mm -hmm. Ace on the 19th in San Antonio. And uh, Lauren has her mini maker fair this Saturday. So I'll, I'll have a report on the next uh, episode as far as how that went. Um, oh, so awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And this should be yep. good. Um, 
Okay, so we had a bunch of bad news and a bunch of like scary news. Uh, can you can you can you help me cleanse my palate with some uh, fr- some etymology? Yeah, dude. <laughs> if the, if the result of this particular episode is that you say the word dude more often, I then then that's a huge success. <laughs> yeah. So so would people be listening more or less? I don't I don't know. Um, yeah. So the the origin of the word dude. Um, yeah. So uh, found out about that. I have. I'm, I'm ready to reveal that. Um, so the 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 word dude. Um, it's the result of a decade long research project. Not mine. Um, but uh, but did you get the October November issue of uh, comments on etymology? Yeah. I I, uh, uh, I I almost did it. It's underneath my copy of a Lapham's Quarterly. So I'm. Uh, uh, but okay. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Yeah, so it's it's a double issue, um, this one. Um, and so it's 129 pages dedicated uh, entirely to the early days of the word dude. Um, and so <laughs> would you like me to summarize or, or, or just read it out loud? Oh, please do. Please do. <laughs> I'll summarize. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, so uh, so it it points to the the word doodle. Uh, so like uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Um, so you know the the guy that stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. And uh, macaroni is a term for a dandy in the 18th century. So um, uh, after young British men returned uh, from their adventures in the European continent, uh, sporting exaggerated high fashion clothes and mannerisms, uh, including a taste for an exotic Italian dish called macaroni. So, um, and so, um, what people would do is they would stick a feather in their cap and they would call it macaroni. Okay. So uh, anyhow, okay. Yeah. So that, and so it's like, if you're, you're like a, a, a highfalutin high society kind of guy, um, and, and you're going around with a feather in your cap, you, you call it macaroni because you're cultured. You've had this exotic food called macaroni. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyhow, the uh, author said in early 1883, it inspired someone uh, to call a floppish, uh, to call floppish young men of New York City dudes, so that's D-O-O-D-S, with the alternate spelling dudes, D-U-D-E-S, soon becoming the norm. Um, And early mocking depictions of these dudes seem awfully similar to today. A weak mustache, a cigarette, a 13-button vest, a curled-rim hat, uh, called a minaret and uh, two watch chains across the breast. So it sounds kind of hipsterish. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, it does sound hipsterish. Yeah, huh. yeah. So anyhow, that's that's the origin of the word, dude. And if you want the uh, link um, to uh, get your own copy of comments on etymology, the October November double issue, um, they can go to the show notes and, and check that out. Uh, you had a you had a Led Zeppelin link, right? Yeah, yeah. So, dude, let's get the lead out, man. Um, <laughs> dude. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I'm a, I'm always. We talked about this before. I'm a fan of, you know, the history of uh, rock music, like behind the scenes and stuff like that. And one of the things I love is when you get a song, and then it's when you can hear the individual tracks of of you know whether it's the drum track or the um the the guitar track and all that and and sometimes by hearing that you actually hear things when it's separate like you can hear a lot of the mistakes or some of the rough parts that 
the other band members compensate for it that you don't hear. So it sounds very human and very natural. And uh, so there's um, one of the songs, the Led Zeppelin songs, uh, Ramble On, um, there's, uh, I'll put a link uh, in the show notes, but it, it actually, it breaks out all the tracks from, you know, the, the drums and the guitar and all that. And I know from playing the drums, it's like I can play the the, the song Ramble On, which is a little tricky. Um, but it's funny how my rendition of it is pretty different from what is on the, in the YouTube video from the track. Um, and it's, but it, it's like the way I play, it sounds, you, you would say, oh, that's how he does it. Um, but in reality, it's very different. So I don't know if I should keep the way I'm doing it or, or try to change it. But I thought it was just fascinating to, to hear how, how you can hear one thing and learn it in a certain way and you think you're right, but it's very different. That's great. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty interesting. And so you can go and you can listen to the tracks and think that uh and even even like hearing Robert Plant um and how he sings it um it's really interesting. Like you you could hear him like take a deep breath before he starts, you know, uh singing really loud and everything. It's really cool. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dave. So, uh what do you say we uh what do you say we put a pin in this? Yeah, yeah, you gotta go see your uh, go see your movie on your uh, Texas size uh, shed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, nice. So, if folks have suggestions for solving the mass surveillance problem, uh, if they have alternates for remember the milk, um, or if they've got suggestions for the TSA pre crime unit, uh, where should they go? They should go to dgshow dot org. So D is in dude, uh, G is in gunner show dot org. Dude. Dude. <laughs> All right. Have a good Halloween day. Yep. Yeah, bye everybody.